Good morning. My name is Hewitt, and I get to do the scripture reading this morning. I will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please take it out and read along with me. It's also up on the screen. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example that they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of God. <clears throat> well, welcome. I want to say a special welcome to uh, family members who are joining us today because of their, their parents, their mother especially, and uh, also for the baptisms. And uh, I think it's great that we honor mothers. Um, when I read the Bible, I think it makes a case that one of the most powerful forces for good on the earth is a godly mother, a mother that is trusting and hoping in the Lord and pouring her life out for her children, serving them. And as you could see from just the way the kids talked about their mother, they can see it. When you ask a child to stop and think about why they're thankful for their mom, it just pours out. They just see, wow, my mom does so much for me. Um, and so it's good, to, it's good to, for us to do that. But you know, in the church, we can actually celebrate not just biological mothers, but all women who pour their life out for the children of God and become spiritual mothers. And the Bible might even give them a higher place, that the, whether you have children or not, that the women who um, are building up God's kingdom, God's children, and the spiritual mothers of the church are also uh, to be celebrated and emulated. And you know, I think, I was thinking about this just in preparation for, you know, the, today's message is about temptation. And I think one of the biggest anxieties mothers have is they, um, want their children to turn out well, 
You know what I mean? And so they don't want their kids to be tempted. And of course, there's a couple large sources of temptation, the relationships that they form, the friendships that they form, and the romantic relationships that they form. They're just really anxious that those be really good relationships. And I remember I did college ministry for 15 years. So I took on this same motherly concern. I'm pouring my life and my heart into these young adults, and a lot of them would start dating. Right, and you really want them to, to date someone, and you really want that to work out. Uh, and so, of course, I had to develop advice because I would see this this crash and burn situation a lot. Um, and so, I just developed a certain uh, set of advice I'd give to the young adults. And one of them was this: I'd say, "Look, when when you see someone attractive, and they walk into the room, you need to realize that your IQ just went down." I mean, like, by half at least. Your ability to discern the character of that person and the rightness of that relationship for you is shot. And so my point was not to avoid the person or not date the person, but just slow down. Just give it a minute. Let things settle. And to back me up, I would quote uh, Taylor Swift has a lot to say about this. That song, I Knew You Were Trouble. You know that song? What does she say? I, as soon as you walked in, I knew you were trouble, but I did it anyways. And here we are, and it's a mess, and I have no one to blame but myself. That song came on uh, with my daughter in the car, and I was like, Tessa, do you know what this message is about? Like, can you absorb this message? And uh, of course, what Taylor is singing about and what, what, what you know, we're pointing out here is, is the, the issue of temptation, that when you see something and you know it's not good for you or you know it's a problem and yet we give into it anyway. And so while that can have some serious consequences in our romantic relationships, the Bible is actually going to get very serious about temptation um, in our relationship with God, that it can actually lead us away from our relationship with God and cause us to fall into a horrible pit that God is going to want us to avoid. And so if you remember last week, um, we listened to a message from Rose about uh, the idea that the Christian life is a race, right? Do you remember that? And so we're supposed to live the Christian life as though we're we're striving for the prize, right? It's a marathon. We, it's worth the sacrifice, to, to follow God for that prize, but did you catch there was a warning in the fact that if, if the Christian life is like a race, you can be disqualified? Did you hear that? That was the scary edge of Paul's message last week. And so Paul is going to take some time to really um, dwell on this idea of what would disqualify us, and the answer is temptation. Temptation can cause us to um, uh, run, you know, fall off to our left or to our right and not even finish the race. And that's a big deal. That should capture our attention. And Paul is going to give us a clear eyed, straight talk about temptation um, so we would not be disqualified. So, what he's going to do is he's going to want us, um, he's going to help us fight temptation, recognize temptation, and endure temptation. And so in verse chapter 10, verse 1, so Paul just got done talking about the race and not wanting to be disqualified. And so he says this, uh, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. So what Paul's going to do here to set this up is when he's talking about temptation, he's going to, for our instruction, he's going to take us back to Israel. He's going to take us back to Israel in the wilderness, which, as as I thought about that, makes a lot of sense. Because when you read the Bible and you read about redemptive history, there's no more boneheaded, head-scratching moment than Israel and how they turned from God so quickly, right? So if we recall, God, God saved them out of Egypt with not one, two, three, but ten plagues just coming down on their oppressors. They led them out of Egypt with a pillar of fire and cloud. They par- he parted the Red Sea. He provided water and manna and quail, and yet every step of the way, they grumbled, they complained, they even made a golden calf. And we're like, what is going on? But the real eye-popping um, point Paul makes um, <clears throat> As he says in verse 11, these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So somebody saw what was happening. You know, it was written down. Moses, it was like, man, we got to learn from what happened in the wilderness with the Israelites and how they blew it. But the Holy Spirit was thinking, actually, the church needs to learn. The church needs to pay a lot of attention to that moment. It's like a it's like an epic fail video. You guys ever seen those? And 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 you watch it over and over again and you're like, I never want to do that. This is like the Bible's epic fail video. Israel. And it puts it on repeat. And you're gonna it's gonna come back to this moment over and over again. And the goal is actually for us the church. This was written down for you and for us. We are special in a sense that this was, this was for us, but we're not special and that we actually are facing the same temptations. We are facing the same mistakes. In fact, Paul makes that very clear because notice that he describes Israel in almost New Testament language. He, they were baptized into Moses. They actually had Christ's presence with them. Sometimes we want to say, well, they didn't have Jesus. Paul's going to say, yes, they did. They had his very presence. They had the same spiritual food, the same spiritual drink. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like the Lord's Supper. Paul's Paul's drawing a very close parallel to say they had covenant relationship. They had God's presence. They had his, his provision. They had his salvation. And so what do we need to learn from this? Well, what I'm going to argue is Paul's saying you need to see God rightly. And I think the point of that is to say that yes, God provides. Yes, God is present. But God will not be mocked. We are not to be presumptuous. And that is to be arrogant and say, I know the truth of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And yet fail to observe the limits of what God deems as lawful for his people. That is that we just give in to unchecked, we surrender to unchecked temptation. 
So here's some examples of how scripture talks about that. Well, let me actually go back to verse 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so we need to see God rightly. We need to understand that there is a real danger just because we profess to be a Christian, we, we come to church, doesn't mean we should become arrogant and feel like we don't have to worry about temptation. We don't have to worry about sin anymore. No, we, the point is, is that the Bible's gonna say that if, if, if Israel failed and now you have Jesus, even more so you need to pay attention to this. But of course, it's also gonna say, and you have even more resources. And so look at verse, um, let me give you a couple other passages. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Bible, Paul is trying to ramp up the stakes of the call on you to fight sin, fight temptation. And Israel's example serves as a warning. Jesus said this himself. <clears throat> Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I like one translation that says, not everyone who sounds godly and religious will enter the kingdom. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. So we must see God rightly. We must have a healthy fear of God who judges evil. A, a profession of faith does not protect us from that. We have to obey God. We have to follow God. That's the sign of true belief. So therefore, we have to have a healthy fear of falling away from God due to unchecked surrendering to temptation. <clears throat> so I believe that's part of the message of this passage, is to sober us and to take temptation seriously. And that is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people. Not that they become more apathetic to sin, but they actually become, we become more vigilant. And so God is to be obeyed, and the reason why we obey God, the reason why Christians obey God, Jesus said something interesting. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so we don't obey God just because we're afraid of him, but we understand that he is the rightful judge, but actually we obey him because we love him. And the only people who ever love God are people who've experienced God, are the people who have looked to God's saving work on the cross and have felt that that was for you, that was for your sin, and that was out of his love for you, and you have received and surrendered that, and you've experienced that. And now obedience is no longer a religious activity. It's your very joy to serve King Jesus, who died for you, but he's King Jesus. He is king of your life. We are not to be presumptuous about our standing there, but to take it seriously. But notice that it comes out of love for God, and so temptation then is going to strike right at our love for God. Temptation is going to be something that moves us away from God as our first love. And so Paul is going to 
say, so not only do you need to see God rightly and take temptation seriously, but you need to recognize where temptation comes from. You need to see your heart rightly. And so in verse 6, <clears throat> Paul starts off, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. To me, that little light bulb went on because I've always wondered, it's like been a mystery to me how Israel could just fall into idolatry. It's like they crossed the Red Sea, God's power, and they made a golden calf. And I'm like, seriously? What, how does that happen? Paul answers it right here. It wasn't rational. They desired evil. They wanted to go after sin. And so that is where we have to recognize temptation, is that we have to look into our own hearts. This is where the root of it will happen. The problem is not outside of you. That mean person in your life did not make you a sinner. The Egyptians oppressed God's people for 400 years. But when God offered them salvation... They were hard-hearted to him, and he judged them for that. And so no matter where, what you've been through, if you don't see your own life and soul as accountable to God, that you stand before him, you will not be able to experience his grace and mercy. And so the Bible is going to say, yes, traumatic things have happened to you. Traumatic things happened to Israel. God is here to save you, to redeem you, to heal you. But you're going to have to recognize the source of evil is still inside each of us. And so Paul is going to address three areas our hearts get tripped up. Yes, we know it's inside of us, but Paul's going to get specific. Three areas of temptation he identifies. So I think they're important. I mean, if Paul looks at the history of Israel and, and says, look at how they, they blew it, he says there's three things they did. <clears throat> Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. <clears throat> we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. The Bible if you haven't caught that yet, if you've been following us in 1 Corinthians, Paul has a big problem with sexual immorality among God's people. And um, you can go back to, I believe it was the sermon on 1 Corinthians 5, to hear exactly why sexual morality. why does God come down so hard on sexual morality? Go listen to that sermon. But for, for today, what is interesting to me is that he links it to idolatry. He links sexual immorality to the number one sin, right? The number one, not the one number one sin, the number one commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. No other, I need to be number one in your life. And so he says sexual morality is you've turned from that. You shall have no other gods before me. <clears throat> and so what is the connection then? Why is sexual immorality idolatry? Well, you see, the gospel, the giving of Jesus Christ for our sins is not just something that God wants you to believe in. It's something he wants you to experience. God wants you to experience him as the satisfying presence of his providing love, 
His, his love that secures you. His love that is intimacy with you. He wants you to know that love. And so sexual immorality then is wanting the pleasure of love without being satisfied by God's love. It's saying to God, you're not enough for me. I'm going to turn to the arms of a human lover. And so the point then is that sexual immorality is a temptation. But when we feel that temptation, our problem is, is that we're not experiencing intimacy with God. And so God, when that... So the call, when, you, when you're feeling that temptation, I believe it's really a call to go deeper, to experience intimacy with God. Let him be the one that helps you experience him as the true lover of your soul, as the one who always leads you and comforts you. That he is the God that when we pray, he hears us. When we have blown it, he forgives us. When we are afraid, he comforts us. When we read his word, he speaks to us. When we cry out, he delivers us. That's the message of the gospel. That God is going to be present in your life in the most powerful ways. And that his love, his majesty, his beauty is what he wants us to experience at the most deepest level. And so God pleads with us, pleads with you, please do not turn to the arms of a human lover who will use you and exploit you and blind you. Instead, God says, turn to me who died for you, who offers eternal life. I am the true shepherd of your soul. Now, the second temptation is an interesting one. It's not one we talk a lot about, but it was a big deal. It's a, it's, it's a big deal for us. We have to figure this out. It's Paul says in verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Now, what does that mean? I had to think about this. You know, I rarely ever counsel somebody to not put Christ to the test. That's just not in my repertoire of advice for Christians. And you hear Paul is telling us this is a big temptation to understand this, you know, you go back to Israel in the wilderness, and there was this scene where um, they got thirsty. God led them out into the wilderness, and they got thirsty. They're in the desert. This is an understandable problem, right? You're, there's hundreds of thousands of people. There's no water. And so, you know, so, of course, God had just saved them from their oppressors. From They had worked miracles. So, of course, God's people were like, we're so thirsty. Where's the water? And they cried out to God in faithful dependence of their Savior. Well, that's not what happened, is it? They grumbled. They complained. And so listen to this summary of how God, of, of how Scripture interpreted their actions Verse 7 of uh, Exodus 17, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so the irony is that they um, were testing God 
But actually, what Scripture says, remember epic fail videos? It keeps going back to this. God comments on this and says, actually, I was testing them. Of course they were thirsty because I wanted them to turn to me and depend on me, not on their own abilities, not on the things of this world, but that I will be their deliverer. I was testing them. Why? Why does God test us like that? Because God is wanting to draw his people closer to him. They were dependent on their own abilities. They were dependent on their, 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 their own eyes. But God is going to make things scarce in our life so that we would learn to turn to him. Right? And so when trials and temptations come, um, we can, that's where the temptation can happen. And we can say, where are you, God? Where are you? I'm in pain. You're, are you really with me? And do you see how that temptation is? And so, um, this is how I would describe it, putting Christ to the test. We want the presence of God, but not his sanctifying power. What I mean by that is we've lost perspective on what is the presence of God for. Is it to make you comfortable? No, no. It's to draw you deeper into intimacy with him. You want the presence of God? He's going to have to work on you. He's going to have to root out your dependence on this world, which means he's going to have to bring trials. He's going to have to make some things scarce in your life, in this world, so you would go to him. We want the presence of God, but we need to have perspective on his sanctifying power. In other words, we let our circumstances be the test of whether or not we will believe in God. And God is like, are you joking? Do you not know I am present with you? Instead of seeing our circumstances as God's way of drawing closer to him. That's what those circumstances are. We ask when, when things are, are, when there's problems, we ask, where are you, God? But God is asking, no, where are you? Where are you? I'm, I'm right here. I'm trying to go deeper into your life. Where are you? You're far from me. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to teach you to depend on me. So when trials come, let us keep perspective on God's power at work as a loving father, his sanctifying power, which leads to our last temptation, grumbling. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of, some of them did, did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So part of what that's talking about, you know, is that they... God gave them manna. He gave them this kind of stuff, except maybe more pure, not, not all the junk that Americans put in our food. Sorry, I've been watching too much nutrition videos. Um, <laughs> manna from heaven, and, then, and then they complain. They're like, oh, all this bread. Can we stop with the bread? So they're hungry. They're in the desert. God literally pours down bread from heaven, and then they complain about it. It's an awesome miracle. Oh, can we stop with this miracle? Can I go get a different miracle? 
And so he says, all right. They're like, we want some meat. Can we get some meat with this so the quail come? And they're like, oh, so much quail, so much meat. So they complain against that. So then, of course, they blame Moses, so they blame shift. Um, You're our problem, Moses. And God's like, do you not see your grumbling heart? And so here's the temptation of grumbling. I want God's provision for my needs, but I don't trust the means of his provision. And I think this is a big problem with modern Western culture, right? Us, us Americans, us 21st century Americans, I mean, we are being bombarded with consumer culture. What is consumer culture? I'll give you just a quick, you know, when I was, uh, lived in San Jose, a friend of mine worked for Apple, and he was so proud of Apple. He loved working for Apple because at the time, I guess you could say it's still true, Apple was on the top of the world. They had the best devices. They were clean. They were intuitive. They were user-friendly. They were cool. And he was trying to explain to me the secret sauce of Apple's success. And he was like, Paul, he got real serious. He's like, you know, we, we don't start with the product. We start with the customer. We ask, what does the customer want? What would make them enjoy this? We don't build a product and try to sell it. We look at the customer, right? And I'm like, I'm like that's beautiful. Thank you, Apple, for putting me at the center of your divine strategy, of your design strategy. Sorry, that Apple does not, <laughs> Apple does not have a divine strategy. They have, <laughs> wow, they have, I'm glad I caught myself on that one. Um, um, they might like to think so. Um, they have a design strategy. I love being at the center of how everyone does things. Isn't that not what we're, what we're just, um, it's just in the air? Um, we just, can everyone revolve around me, please, like Apple does? That's, that's what we want, right? And so, we are bombarded with this approach. I was thinking about this, the, you know, the tagline, you be you, it's kind of mutated. It's mutated to everything should be about you. It's not just you be you anymore. It's everything should be about you. And so it's become this sickness. We have to be aware of this Solano family. We are being cooked in the soup where the main ingredient is me, myself, and I. And it makes us grumble. It makes us want this and not want that, not like this, complain about that. when We've lost sight of what we actually have. And so we can ask this question, why might God make the food so simple for the Israelites? Why this manna, this quail, and the water from the rock? I think it's pointing to Jesus Because if you recall, Jesus called himself bread from heaven. And now what do we do? Every Sunday, we take the Lord's Supper. Every Sunday, we take the bread and the drink over and over and over again. Anyone bored with that? You're like, I don't want to say anything. (laughs) But... Do you see what God's trying to reinforce by over and over and over again? The bread and the wine, the bread and the wine. He's saying, I want you to see what you have. I don't want you to lose sight of the most important thing in your life. And Paul said it best, and I always go back to this. It's a life verse for me. Christ died for sinners of whom I am the foremost. And I will praise him the rest of my life. 
We never have to go beyond that. We never should go beyond that. If that is the source and anchor of our life, then we will have joy and abundance in our hearts. Even when we don't have all the abundance of our eyes and all the abundance of our neighbors, we will stop caring about that because we have the one who has given his life for our souls. It's the simple gospel. It's the gospel that we need. My, uh, I, uh, I used to wrestle in high school. There were weight classes. Um, I was the smaller one. And, um, you know, when you wrestle, it's like you're out there and you're just afraid of that guy across from you. He's going to do horrible things to you unless you do horrible things to him. Um, and so it is just like, especially when you're in high school, it is like your adrenaline's going, your fear is going, and you're trying to like, you're just, and so you don't hear anything. The coaches can be screaming at you. You don't hear them. I remember I did not hear them, especially that first year, my freshman year. And I remember um, that my, uh, my mom couldn't go to a lot of my matches because she worked, right? Well, she finally, like halfway through the season, made it to a match. And she, um, and I remember I'm wrestling with this guy, like, I think I'm in a headlock or something. Like, I'm, it, is, it is struggling. And I hear this piercing call, Paul, get him! Yeah, Paul! And I remember thinking, like, as I'm, like, in a headlock, you know, and you're not thinking about anything except how to get out of it, but I actually stopped and thought, that's my mom. <laughs> and then I thought, I can't believe I just heard her. Like, that's amazing. Literally, consciously, as I'm wrestling... And, you know, I have to say, I, I think that's, that's probably um, not unique to my experience with my mom. I think there's something about moms, right? When they are at their children's sporting events, they are the most likely to make a spectacle of themselves and not care. And to be the loudest ones making a fool of themselves because there's probably no other human being at their kid's match more than a mother that, that, that wants their child to know that they see them out there, that they are rooting for them out there, that they are in their corner. They don't care who hears about, their, about it. They're going to root for their child. They're going to make sure their child knows they are proud of them, they love them. And so the gospel is, is an invitation to not just believe in God, but to experience the fierceness of God's love. I'm trying to say that that picture of that mother is on, on that playing field when you're wrestling with somebody and you're, you're, and you're in the competition, that God, God's love um, pierces through that, that he favors us, that his eyes are on us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the sharp voice of that love that pierces through our wrestling with sin and temptation. My mom's voice was so clear to me in the midst of that wrestling match. That's what the cross is supposed to be. That in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your wrestling in this world, that that pierces through and says, I am with you. I see you. I love you. I will provide for you. I will care for you. That is what the gospel 
wants you to experience a love fiercer than a mother's love, more willing to become a spectacle before the entire world, to be bread from heaven that was broken for us. And so, with the gospel, with Jesus Christ in our life, let us turn from these temptations. Let us turn from the temptation to find intimacy in the arms of a lover and find intimacy with God. Let us learn not to question God when our circumstances are hard, but to realize that's God's very testing of us. That's him, very, that's him actually working to draw us near to him. And let us not grumble. Let us not grumble, but trust that God will provide a way out. And so that's my last point. We have to endure temptation. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So just three quick applications here. When we, are, when we are experiencing the fires of temptation, the first thing, let us cry out for deliverance. When you are in the fires of temptation, you know what God promises you? I will not let this get too bad for you. I will not let it defeat you. I will provide a way out. You can hold God to that promise. That is not testing him. Testing him is saying, are you here, God? Because your circumstances are hard. But faith says, God, I know you are here. Help me. That's faith. You promised a way out. Help me. Provide for me. That's faith. I will pray that prayer for you and with you. So when you're in the fires of temptation, cry out for deliverance. Trust that God is present. Trust that God is in it with you. He sees you. His wisdom is at work in this trial in ways that you may not be able to see, but trust that, that if this is the God that died for you, is he gonna let this temptation be the, the one that gets the final word? He has his hand on that lever. He is sovereign over that temptation. And lastly, endure through failure. That actually becomes a big temptation when we fail. Makes us want to quit the whole thing. But this is where God is actually saying, there is a deeper thing I want from you rather than your righteousness because I've, I've died for it, I've provided for it, I want your dependence. I want you to trust me, I want you to come to me. The righteousness will come. God will heal, but I want you to come to me in the fullness of trust that I love you, I have forgiven you, I am with you. Do that over and over again, every day of your life, through every temptation, and you will see God do miracles. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we need to receive this word from you as part of your loving care, your loving instruction. That first of all, temptations are serious, Lord. Let us not be apathetic to the way and schemes of Satan that wants to disqualify us. Let us not be presumptuous because we have some kind of Christian background, Lord, but let us every day run as to, to win the prize and not be disqualified. So teach us about our hearts and temptation, Lord. Um, 
Lord, would you come into our lives? Would you come into our hearts? Would you speak to us based on your promises to deliver us? Lord, that you, because you have given Christ and now your Holy Spirit, you are present with us. Lord, would you help us feel that? We need to experience that, Lord. Help us, would, you, would your voice and your love, would it pierce through the fog and the noise of our, of our temptation, our struggles and our fights? Like a loving mother out on the soccer field, that we hear you and we know you are with us. Break through that for us today. And Lord, give us the strength to endure the temptations because we know there's a prize at the end, Lord. We know we will win you more and more. We will draw closer to you as we endure. And that is worth it. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah.